Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Welcome to episode two of the Parent-Teacher Conference Podcast. I'm Coach Cullen. I've been a teacher for over 25 years and a parent for about 15. And if I'm wearing my teacher hat, I try to look at things from the perspective of a parent. And if I'm wearing my parent hat and I have to approach one of my kids' teachers, I try to look at it from the teacher's point of view. So hopefully when I'm providing this podcast are ideas and thoughts that aren't strictly by a teacher for teachers or strictly by a parent for parents. And in that way, we can take down some walls and work together for the sake of our students or our children. If you like what you hear, please share the podcast with a friend. Please follow or subscribe. And if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas for future topics, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. So this is the second and last part of a two-part series, I guess, on what I learned during COVID. In the first episode, I discussed how as teachers and as parents, we both have to realize how tough the last two years were. And I also shared how I got over my concerns about going back into a classroom before there were any vaccinations available. Today, I'm going to introduce the last four things that I learned. And some of these things I knew, but it reinforced it even more during the lockdowns or even during the year where we were hybrid or virtual or whatever we were. So let's talk about it. Probably the first thing that kept my sanity is the idea to keep it simple, stupid. Especially during the time that we were locked down from spring to the end of the school year in 2020. Here's what was going on. Now remember, I'm teaching, I'm pushing out content to my students, but I have two daughters at home. One in middle school, one in elementary school. And what their school did for the first two weeks was they created choice boards and the kids were told they had to choose so many choices on their board it was all different lessons and i know a lot of teachers are into this they want to bring democracy into the classroom allow the kids some sovereignty in their learning but the biggest frustration for my wife and i during those first two weeks with the choice boards was getting our girls to actually choose what they were going to do. Once they made a choice, things were fine. I mean, we had to answer some questions. We needed to help. But the biggest frustration was just getting them to decide. So after the third day, my wife and I would look at the choice boards. And when they came down to do school for the day, we would just say, okay, you're doing that one, that one, and that one. And I got to be honest, part of Part of our decision was looking over the choice and considering how much time do we have to spend. If my my wife was 
had a day off of work that day, then obviously she could spend more time so we could do a little more complexity. But if I was working from home as a teacher, my wife was going out to work in her medical practice, my girls were going to be on their own. So on those days, we absolutely had to pick things. There would be little, if any, questions by either of them. Now, how this translated for me in the classroom was this. If I was having this struggle, my students' parents were having this struggle. So I didn't, it's going to be a struggle, but I didn't want my students' parents to have added struggle that they didn't need. So I tried to keep the content or what I was pushing out to apps and programs my students used in my classroom. I tried to avoid introducing apps they had never used before, and especially in my classroom. And that's a distinction that I need to clarify. Yes, other teachers were using other apps that I was not using. But my feeling was, if a parent reached out to me and said, hey, I have a question about how you use Edpuzzle, which is one of the apps I use, I, I had confidence in it. My students used it before we went all virtual. I can answer the questions. But if it was an app that I wasn't using, I could be as lost as them. And, and that would lose credibility. And especially during this time, I think our parents needed from our teachers, or us as teachers, credibility and confidence. So my principle was keep it to apps that we had already used in the classroom. So my students worked a lot on the Google Suite system, like Google Docs, Google Slides. They knew how to use that quite well. We posted things on Google Classroom, and we used Edpuzzle. Now, if you don't know what Edpuzzle is, it's a great app. You can get a video. You can upload your own video that you create, and we'll talk about that later on, how I was doing that. Or you can find a video on YouTube. And after you upload the video into Edpuzzle, then as a teacher, you can add questions. As the kid's watching the video, it'll stop and ask them a question. That question could be a simple multiple choice question, or it could be a short answer. And then after they're done, I get their responses, the multiple choices, the Edpuzzle grades on their own, the short answer, I have to review and give points for them. Now, I'm not a Luddite, but I am Amish when it comes to apps in the classroom. And that's coming from a guy whose master's degree is in educational technology. I'm a history teacher. The most important thing in my classroom is that my kids understand the content and interact with the content. It's not that I've never introduced new apps. Edpuzzle at one time was a new app. But I don't find an app online or another teacher says, oh, you should try this, and then quickly try to rush it and fit it into the curriculum. I take my time with it. I have to learn it. I have to see where would it best fit in the curriculum. And then I have to be able to explain how to use it to my students. Again, if their minds are fixated or confused by the app, then they're going to miss out on what the principal point of the lesson is, which is the history content. And that is what I brought into this time of COVID, this idea that I need to keep it simple, not just for my students' parents who are not only working full-time, but are also their child's tutor, but for my students 
as well so they can get some understanding of the content that I was pushing out into the, like I always say, the void because I wasn't with them live. I was with them digitally. And I just hope that made the situation, which was a frustrating one, a bit easier for all of us. Next, I learned the importance of communication, communication, communication. Not that I never reached out to my students' parents before, but I realized that as teachers, we needed to step up a little bit more. Now, it wasn't easy. I was waking up at 3 in the morning, creating content, creating my lessons. I had to push it out by 9 o'clock every morning. And a lot of people could sit there going, well, you used to work from like 8 to 3. Now you're saying you're done by 9. I wasn't done by 9. Remember, I was waking up at 3 in the morning, and sometimes I was just making that 9 o'clock deadline. There might be an issue with the computer or made a mistake, etc. It might take me to full 6 hours. Now, I, I, I'll be honest. I wasn't working the full 6 hours straight. I was taking breaks. But I would say I was working easily 3 to 5 on, on any given day. So a lot of my prep was going on in the morning because I had to convert every lesson digitally. Then I had email notifications going in case students or parents or both were trying to reach me during the day. Sometimes I had a Google Meet, sometimes I had meetings I had to be on, Google Meet meetings with other teachers, etc. So there were things I was doing, quote unquote, during the school day. And the big thing I was doing was grading assignments as they were coming in from my students. Now the reason I'm bringing this up is I want teachers to understand when I say we should have stepped up our communications more, I want you to know I was doing a lot of work as well and I realized there was a need to do a little bit more and I did have some time during that stretch where I would have been working that I could do it so I took advantage of that the reason I realized this was again what I saw as a parent with my own children I the one flaw of this whole thing during the spring was I think teachers especially from middle school up and I can't speak to high school because I didn't have any kids in high school. But especially in the middle school level, I think we kind of stepped back and said, we kind of ran things as status quo in terms of communication. I don't think we considered that our kids' parents didn't have some of these topics that we were sending out to their children for like 20, 30, 40 years. So here is what I did, not just sending emails out. I started creating a weekly video. And then in that video, I explained my topic for the week and what we were going to do, be it ed puzzles, reading. Sometimes it was a project. If it was a project, I would explain the project to the parents and say, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. These weekly videos, I would say during the lockdowns, those videos were being watched by well over 50% of my students' parents. And I've continued that. When we went back hybrid the next fall, and even this school year when we're all back, I decided to keep going with these about three minute long videos that explain a topic for the week, assignments that are coming up due, and explanations of projects their kids are working on. And I can tell you this, parents are so appreciative of it. I have a colleague that I expressed concerns as we were kind of getting out of COVID time. Less parents are watching. Now it's about 25% of the parents watch it. And 
she was telling me how much she enjoys watching the video. I try to make them fun. It's, it's turned into a hobby for me, trying to think of a fun way to present this to parents. I Now I put in like a trivia question each week that they get answered at the end. And I said, yeah, but I don't know how effective it is anymore. I don't know if anybody's, you know, not a lot of people are watching it as much. But she said something that was really good. She said, hey, even if they don't watch it, they can never say they didn't know their child had to do something, right? It's almost being proactive. The videos are being pushed out every week. It talks about topics. It talks about projects, assignments, and they can never say, I didn't know my kid was going to learn that. I didn't know my kid had that due. Because my principal's going to say, I know Mr. Cullen pushes out a weekly video every week, and I can see in his email that you received it. So he did tell you, you just chose not to open it. And what I do now also, because I realize some parents aren't going to want to sit there for three minutes, I give them a breakdown of at what time they'll get what thing, meaning like zero seconds to 30 seconds, introduction, trivia question, 30 seconds to one minute mark, right? Because it's fine on the video, introduction of this week's topic. And I'll tell them what the topic is, but I won't go into much detail. If they want the detail, they go to the video. So if you want to try that, I would highly encourage it. The parents who do watch it, find it a great benefit. It plugs them into the classroom, your classroom. They feel like they're there a bit. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you do have their kid in your classroom. So either way, they're having a connection to your classroom. Might as well be open and honest on what's going on. Now, like I said, in these videos, I always stress, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Well, I had a parent reach out to me. See, we had started a Genius Hour project. That's where once a week I gave my students the opportunity to create a project on their own. They designed the project. It had to be on a historical topic, and it, it could be on anything. I had to approve it. So now that we went all virtual, my feeling was, well, they can still do once a week for their social studies time to work on their project. But the problem was, I wasn't going to be there as hands-on as I would have been in the classroom. So this mom started emailing me, and she started asking about the project. Her son was doing the Walls of Constantinople. We watched his TED Talk video in the beginning of the year, a little about three, five minutes long, about the Walls of Constantinople that excited him. And he wanted to build like a model of the Walls of Constantinople. So she had all these questions, and they're good questions. They weren't questioning what's the value of this. She understood that her son was excited to learn about this and reconstruct the wall. And she every time she emailed, like I would email her, she might fire back an email within an hour asking a question based on my email. And she was so apologetic, like, I'm sorry to reach out to you again. I'm sorry to reach out. And this was going on and on. And sometimes I would write, hey, how's it going with the project? And I'll tell you what. At the end of the year, all those emails were worth it. She goes, I just want to send you a picture of what my son has been up to for the Genius Hour project. And it wasn't the full project. He presented that a couple days later. Her son went outside. I guess he had all these rocks. And I guess the people who previously owned the property might have had like a brick wall or something. I don't know. But he stacked these rocks. It must have been three feet high by 10 feet wide. He even put a gate in it, about a foot high. So thankfully, he wasn't able to go through the gate. 
and he's standing up behind it, behind the, the wall of Constantinople that he built. And she said how it was great during this lockdown time when he couldn't really get together with people. It allowed him to get outside, do some physical work. And he was like, she could see him like thinking, hey, what rock should I place where? How do I put this little um, gate in the into the wall? And she just said it was a great time. And you can tell when he, when he submitted his project, you could tell the enjoyment he had learning about the wall of Constantinople and then building his own, in a sense, wall of Constantinople. I ran into that family at a grocery store the following fall. And it was so great to see her face to face. And when she realized who I was, when her son, oh, hi, Mr. Cullen. She just says, thank you so much for those emails. I'm like, it was worth it. I go, that, and I looked at the sun, I said, that was a great project. That was one of the best I received. Just a little patience and answering parents' questions can help them help you bring out what is best in their kid. And that's what came out in that kid. And it was awesome for me as a teacher to see, and I am absolutely sure it was awesome for that mom to see as well. And that kid will never forget that project and how well he did it. And you don't know where that's going to go. The third thing I learned is don't outsource your curriculum. Now, granted, there are times where I have re reproducible books that I will grab a lesson from or a reading from, especially in history class, because I can't duplicate it. Sometimes I go on YouTube and I find a video that's well produced on a topic that I'm covering. And there are history teachers that have come to notoriety, get a lot of follows and um, views on topics that they've created for classroom usage and then become like mini YouTube stars. Um, you know, one of those the more famous ones like Crash Course History. So I was pushing out content like that with my Ed Puzzles, adding the questions. And one day I was meeting up with students on a Google Meet during the lockdowns. And this one kid who was very honest, I mean, he was honest, even when he was in the classroom. And now here he is on a Google Meet being honest. And he says, is there anything I can change or anything you don't like? And his response was, yeah, we like it when you make the videos. So I asked him why. And he said, we're used to how you present information. And it goes along with where you're going in the unit. That was a good point. So I would encourage you that if you're a lot showing videos a lot, you can make simple ones pretty easily. There's Screencastify, where you can even put a little box with you in it, talking and showing pictures. You create a slideshow with pictures, maybe even text to kind of get bullet points, and you can talk along, and there's a video for your uh, student to watch. I was using Keynote, which is a Mac program. It's, it's PowerPoint, and I would do the same thing. I'd make a slideshow, but the best thing was then I could record my voice over the top of the slideshow and then download it as a movie. And once I downloaded it as a movie, I could upload it to YouTube. Then I opened up Edpuzzle, found my movie, through the YouTube section of Edpuzzle and added my questions onto it. And there was my lesson for the day. So as a teacher, I would encourage other teachers, don't always outsource your work. It, it gets to be fun. I, I like creating like things for them to read, videos for them to watch, etc. The first three lessons I learned really were for teachers, 
but I'm hoping that parents gain some wisdom in there as well. The last one is for parents. I'm going to put my teacher hat on, knowing I'm a parent as well, talking to parents. Here it goes. Show thankfulness. And that's something I need to do more with my own kids' teachers. Now, some of you might say, hey, I shouldn't be thanking a teacher for doing their job. I don't get thanked for doing my job. Okay, that's fair enough. But did you know that most of the emails I've received for parents over the years have been when I've done something wrong or something they perceived as wrong? And it can get to you. And usually what happens is when things are going well, we can take it for granted. And I can do that as well as a parent. And not just even in the world of education. Maybe at your job, you should be being thanked more. Maybe your boss only tells you about the bad times. And that's horrible. And I just think that maybe we all should be a little more thankful. I think the spring to early summer of 2020, when we were all in our houses, all kind of concerned about going out, we had this, we're all in this together attitude. And I think we've lost that. And maybe if we're all thankful in all situations, things could be better. I don't know, but it can't hurt, right? So let me tell you, at the end of the school year 2020, it really made all the hard work, all the long early mornings, trying to move everything into a digital content for their children, to access, trying to make their life as easy as I could during a tough time when their kids were learning at home. It was so nice to see the flood of emails. And I did. It was a flood. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Just all these thankful notes of just understanding we are all in this together. And my last video, even that that weekly video I send out, was me thanking them, knowing how much time they put into their own children's education this year. It truly was a love fest. So, but let me tell you about the best thank thank you um, email I received. So this mom sends me an email. Now you have to understand something. Every day when my students walk into class, I play a song typically on the top, something that goes along the topic that we're learning about. For example, when we study Africa, I play Toto's Africa. Hopefully that makes sense. But on Fridays that year, I was playing the Rebecca Black song, Friday, you know. Friday, Friday, you know that song, right? So I would play that song. So what this mom and her daughter did was they made a video for me. It had the Rebecca Black song, Friday, on it. And it had her daughter doing different things like um, get out of bed, going down to the kitchen, making a bowl of cereal. And, they're, and her and her mom are dancing in the video. It's about a minute long. And it was very special. Because they didn't have to do that. It could have been a simple email. And don't get me wrong. I appreciated every simple email. But what this young lady and her mother did for me was imply, hey, We recognize all the hard work you put in over the last couple of months here. And we're going to put in a little hard work for you that you can smile and laugh about. 
to show how appreciative we were for what you did. That's how I took it. And that was amazing. So, trust me, a little note of thanks every now and again to your teacher, to your boss, to members of your family, your friends, for people who've just gone out of their way to do something nice for you, go a long way and are memorable. There's really nothing more for me to say today other than thanks for listening. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.